I don't know, you may not be able to sit down on a song like this. You might need to stand up. So let's dance a stand up song. Stand up. No. I forgot my music. Can you see that? Hang on. I forgot my minor down there, too. Okay, we're going to wing it. Here we go. Well, we might have to look over here. <laughs> I woke up this morning feeling fine. I woke up with heaven on my mind. I woke up with joy in my soul Cause I knew my Lord had control I knew I was walking in the light Cause I've been on my knees in the night And I prayed to the Lord to give me sight And now I'm feeling mighty fine Well, I'm feeling mighty fine I've got heaven Jesus all the time We're walking and talking as we climb We're traveling a road to the sky Where with Him we'll live when we die He's been telling me all about that land And He tells me that everything is grand And He says that a home will be mine And now I'm feeling mighty into this house gathered in his name to worship him. Probably all of you know that. We have come into this house gathered in his name to worship him. We have come into this house and gathered in We 
concentrate on Him and worship Him. So forget about yourself and concentrate on Him. Shirley Murphy, our dear sister, been here over 40 years. And they had the surgery slated for 12 noon today. They were going to drill into her head because uh, she had another scan last night at 2 a.m. And uh, she still has some bleeding going on up there. We don't know whether she's had a stroke or not. They think she may have. We do know she fell. I had a bad fall. I think she was on the floor of her kitchen for hours. And now I'm told that they have canceled that surgery at 12 noon simply because I got a lab report back. I have my suspicions about what that lab report was about, but I'm not going to take your time up to tell you about it. Suffice it to be said that, that we need to pray for Shirley. I want you to pray for her. She lost her husband about a year and a half ago, Drexel, who was also here with us. And uh, so she's fighting the battle. She does have a daughter that's been quite a help to her. 
So before we open the scripture, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, we call upon you in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He dwells in a glory that no man can approach unto, unless they go by the name of Jesus, the name that you have exalted above every name, and given him a position in heaven that is above all positions, that every tongue should confess, every knee should bow, and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We want to thank you for Shirley. We, Lord, we lift her up to you. She belongs to you. She is your daughter. And we know that you love her more than we could ever love her and that you tell us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. And so, therefore, we lift up our dear sister and your daughter to you this morning. We ask you if it would please you to grant her a few more days here with us to heal her. We are told in your word that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You made these bodies and you can heal these bodies. And we ask you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to heal her, raise her up, give her a few more days with us, if it is your will. Nevertheless, thy will be done and not ours. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, asking you to bless our study of the word today. For Jesus' sake, we ask it in his name. Amen. If you'll remain standing for just a moment and open your Bibles to Genesis 41. study, we always ask the Lord, come and join us or we will have met in vain. So let's sing this prayer to him. Ah, I stretch my delighted that you are here with us today. We believe in the divine providence of God, and therefore we believe that you're not here accidentally. You may have had your own reasons for coming, but the Lord has his reasons too. Pray for me as I open the word of God, and I certainly will be praying for you that the Lord will give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that understand. We are engaged in a long series of studies on the story of Joseph, and in each study I give a little subtitle, and the subtitle for today's study is Waiting on the Lord, Waiting on the Lord. Genesis chapter 41, verse 1, it came to pass 
at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say praise the Lord, and you may be seated. How long has Joseph been waiting on the Lord? About 13 years. He was 17 years old when his brothers betrayed him and sold him to the Ishmaelites, and he is now 30 years old. He had a dream when he was 17 years old. He did not understand the dream, but the dream did imply that he was going to be in a position of ruling over his brothers. They were upset about it. They said, we'll never bow to you. So you can throw those dreams out the door. Well, of course, the Lord has plans for each of us, but the journey we don't know anything about. The journey to the destination we don't know, and it was the same with Joseph. So I want you to keep in mind that although Joseph is going to end up being the governor of Egypt, he does not know he is going to be the governor. It might have been much easier for him if he had known. You know, if you begin to work at McDonald's and you knew that one day for sure you were going to be the president of McDonald's, you might find it much easier to endure all the hardships along the way, if you kept that in mind. But isn't it that way with us? Those of us who believe, we know that we are destined to be with our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Shouldn't that knowledge make it much easier to endure all that we must go through on our way to heaven? Is there anything wrong with having a little heaven on the way to heaven? Regarding Joseph's day in and day out showing up for work, not only for the 13 years, but prior to that, he was his father. He worked for his father. He showed up day in and day out. If the sun rose, Joseph is going to be there. He was faithful. And regarding his day in and day out showing up for work, for the 13 years that he has been a prisoner, a slave, and in prison, and beyond that, what is the, what is at least, I may say it this way, what is one of the outstanding lessons for us that we get through Joseph? It is this. True and saving faith, patiently trust the Lord. We call it waiting on the Lord. Let me say it with two statements which really say the same thing. The soul that waits on the Lord is the soul that trusts Him. The soul that trusts the Lord will wait on Him. Now I'm bringing you this lesson today not only because I think it is certainly revealed in the story of Joseph, because, but because it is evident 
that professing Christian churches in America and the world are in trouble. Now, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians in the New Testament, chapter 2. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, you can look on with somebody or you can get a Bible, probably some of them are in the pew, look in the table of contents and find the Thessalonian epistles, all the epistles that begin with T's are grouped together, Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus. So you find the second Thessalonians chapter 2. Chapter 2. Did you know that in England more Islamic mosques are now built each year than Christian churches? I say we are in trouble. Let's first read this, and I'm going to come back and dissect it for you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our being gathered together unto him. Do not be shaken up in your mind or be troubled in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, as by spirit, by word, or by letter from us, as the day of the Lord is at hand, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. In the United States, multitudes are falling away from their profession of faith. Now listen to this. I got this from the Gallup poll people, and I got this from the Pew Research people and a couple of others, highly recognized and esteemed statistical organizations. Only 51% of pastors and 6% of Americans now hold a biblical worldview. Two-thirds of Americans, that's 61%, ages 18 to 35 in that group, doubt the existence of God. The Americans' doubt of God doubled in one generation. And what are the fruits of this unbelief? Attend worship less, number two, pray less, number three, read the Bibles less, number four, share their faith less, number five, there's an erosion of spiritual knowledge and there's a loss of sensitivity to all things sacred. There was a time when if you heard certain Curses or blasphemous remarks that you would recoil in horror today. You can sit there, we can all sit there, and we're, we've been desensitized. While 70% of Americans profess to be Christians, less than 20% attend any form of worship on a regular basis. Up until 15 years ago, belief in God was the most stable measure of all Christian beliefs. Now, one half of all Americans 
and two-thirds of millennials, I'm going to tell you what that means, most of you know, question the most fundamental foundation of faith, the existence of God. Now, a millennial is someone that's born from 1981 to 1996, also known as Generation Y or Gen Y. There are roughly 80 million millennials aged 26 to 41. Then there's Generation Z. Those are people born from 1996 to 2010, and there are 90 million Gen Zers or Zoomers. And then there's Alpha, uh, Generation Alpha. That's those born from 2010 to 2025. More than 2.5 million of those born every week, and they say a total will be about 2 billion of them by 2025. Now, my friends, if there's no God, if there's no heaven, if there's no hell, then there are no consequences for our actions. So is it any wonder that murder and rape and theft and the like are going through the roof? Is it any wonder that people are walking into houses of merchandise, taking the merchandise and walking off with cameras on and everything else is done? America's moral code in the past was built upon the Bible. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't commit adultery. All of that's been rapidly abandoned. And what is the result of this? Number one, the moral compass has been lost. What, I, what do I mean by that? We don't know any longer what is right and wrong. We don't know what light and darkness. We don't know sweet and bitter. We don't know. Our moral compass has been lost. Number two, we make our own rules now. Number three, no accountability. Number four, political and racial strife. Moral absolutes. What is a moral absolute? That's an action and an attitude that's always right, wherever you are. If you're China or the United States... A moral absolute doesn't change by people, places, or things. Moral absolutes have given away to situational ethics. And the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ has been exchanged for personal self-righteousness. In other words, everyone is her or his own authority, own moral authority, and if there is a heaven, I'm good enough to go there. 92% of all American households have Bibles, but only one half of the population actually reads the Bible, and only one half of those who read the Bible read it regularly. Consequently, 55% of Americans believe that the devil does not exist. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, to deny the existence of the devil is, first of all, to deny the Word of God, because the Word of God says he does exist. Number two is to call Jesus Christ, God's Son, a liar. Star Wars, you remember that. Probably most of you saw it. Star Wars was viewed by 90% of Americans and 45% of the world's population. And what was the big deal in Star Wars? There was a thing called a what? The Force. 
Since Star Wars and movies along those lines, that line, 30% of U.S. adults believe in a cosmic force rather than the Almighty God revealed in Scripture. The force of Star Wars is an amoral, you know what that means? Nothing is good, nothing's bad. There is no good, there is no bad. It's just how you look at it. The force of Star Wars is an amoral, impersonal force which ultimately consumes all of us. In other words, really, and Americans don't know this, that force is really the god of Eastern religions, of Hinduism and Buddhism. If there is no intelligent personal god, there's no such thing as immortality, there's no moral standard for human behavior, and there's no meaning for our existence. Finally, according to the Gallup poll, America's membership, this is a quote, Americans' membership in houses of worship continues to decline, dropping below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend. A decade is 10 years, so that'd be 80 years. For the first time, U.S. church membership has dropped below 50%. When the Gallup poll began, 73% of the total population of America were in worship of some time each week. They first measured it in 1937, and they said it remained that attendance of some type of worship remained at a 70% level for the next six decades before beginning a steady decline around the turn of the 21st century. So what does that mean? It means multitudes are falling away. It means they are no longer waiting on the Lord. Now look in that passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I beseech you, brethren, I appeal to you. I'm making an appeal to you, brethren, about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, concerning the coming of Christ, and about our gathering together unto him. He said, don't be soon shaken in mind, verse 2. Don't be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Don't let people tell you that we are teaching that the day of Christ is at hand. Don't be so easily confused in your thinking. Don't be so upset in your minds and souls. Don't believe any report from anyone that claims we are teaching that the day of Christ is at hand. Because, he says, verse 3, let nobody deceive you by any means. That day will not come, except there come a falling away first. Don't allow anybody to deceive you in any way regarding this. The day of the Lord will not come until the final rebellion takes place. Maybe it has begun. And that final rebellion will be characterized by a great falling away. Certainly this doesn't refer to the world, but to multitudes who profess to be Christians. The world can't fall away from Christ because it's never believed on Christ. This refers to the multitudes of professing Christians falling away from what they profess to have believed. 
In other words, they've grown weary of waiting on the Lord. Peter tells us that. He says there's going to come a generation. They're going to be scoffers. They're going to begin to make fun of Christ and of all those who believe in him about the second coming. And they're going to say, look, everything has continued just as it has been for centuries. Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. You Christians are just idiots waiting on something and someone. Well, why is there going to be this falling away? Well, many have made a profession of faith, but they don't really trust the Lord. Because the soul that waits on the Lord is the soul that trusts the Lord. There's no doubt that Joseph is waiting on the Lord. There's no doubt that Joseph trusts the Lord. Sold by his brothers at 17 to Ishmaelites who sold him to Potiphar in Egypt. He was in Potiphar's house for 10 years, 11, 12 years. Then he was put in prison. And this passage says two full years passed. He's actually, and I'm going to tell you about this in a minute, he was actually in prison for about four years. But let me tell you what, no matter what Joseph is going through, no matter what's happening to him, he's waiting upon the Lord. Those who fall away from Christ never trusted Christ. Therefore, they are not able to wait on him. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. It might be up on the screen for you. It says that those who professed faith in Christ, John says they went out from us. They used to worship with us. They used to be with us. But he said they went out from us. They didn't trust the Lord because they didn't continue waiting on the Lord. He said, but they were not of us. They were with us, but they were not of us. They were not of us inwardly. They had another heart. They had not from the heart obeyed the form of doctrine delivered unto them. He says they were not of us. How do you know that, John? He says, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be exposed, manifested that they were not of us. They were with us, but they were not of us. Paul told the Romans, he said, don't you know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, Romans chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, don't you know that you become the servants of the thing or the person that you obey? whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto life. And he says, but God be thanked, you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. That's what John is saying. They were with us, but they were not of us. And we have a large body of people today who no longer are waiting upon the Lord. Let me say it again. The soul that really trusts the Lord will wait on him. Joseph had every reason to fall away. He had every reason to doubt. Why didn't he? Because he trusted the Lord completely. And as I said earlier, Joseph was probably in prison for four years. He was in prison two years before the butler and the baker came under his care the two guys that had the dreams that we've already studied. 
and he was there for two years before Pharaoh had his dream. Yet he remained faithful, and he continued to trust the Lord. And he was put in prison on a lie. <laughs> on a lie. Saul of Tarsus, whom we know as Paul the Apostle, he's another man that trusted the Lord. He was shipwrecked, robbed, betrayed, in constant danger, awful without sufficient food and clothing. He was beaten by the Jews five times. He was stoned three times. But he continued trusting the Lord and waiting patiently on him. When the Lord Jesus told his disciples about the trials they were going to suffer, he said, in your patience, possess ye your souls. We must patiently wait upon the Lord. There's something that we must learn, and this is a great life lesson. And if you haven't learned it yet, believe me, if you keep living in this world, you will. And that is this, that the God of the Bible is not in a hurry. The God of the Bible is not in a hurry. You know, I've mentioned this to you before. There's not any passage in Scripture where you ever see Jesus running, not even walking fast. He's going to be where he's going to be when he's supposed to be there. Brother, that's the opposite of this generation, isn't it? All of us are fidgety about everything. If there's anything that phones and computers do for us, it makes us impatient. We want instant information, and we wanted it yesterday. Now, this great lesson you have to learn, and that is we're on his time schedule, and he's not in a hurry. That's what it says in verse 1 of Genesis 41. At the end of two full years, the Lord gave Pharaoh a dream. The Lord waited 120 years on Noah's generation before he sent the flood. He waited 200 years on Nimrod and the fools that followed him to build the Tower of Babel. He waited over 400 years before delivering Israel from Egypt. You know how long we've been a nation? 246 years. He waited over 400 years before he delivered Israel. He waited on Moses for 40 years while he was in Egypt and 40 more years while he was in the wilderness before he sent him into Egypt to free Israel. He waited around 300 years while Israel and Judah served their kings after rejecting the Lord as their king. He waited 4,000 years before sending his son into the world, and he's waited another 2,000 years since then. Oh, he is a waiting God. And guess what? He can afford to wait. The dew of youth is on his brow. We cannot outwait God. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30. Often we don't turn to passages too, too much, but uh, I, I, this morning I felt impressed to do this. Uh, Isaiah, found the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 30. How long has the Lord been waiting on you? How long has the Lord been waiting on you? Do you know that the Lord has been waiting on you if you're not a Christian? Do you know why he's been waiting on you? 
Well, let's look at some verses, but first let's look at verse 18. Isaiah chapter 30, and verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait on him. How about that? <laughs> Israel looked to everybody for help. Everybody to help them but the Lord. That's the first seven verses. The first seven verses. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord. Verse 1. They take counsel, but not for me. They cover with a covering, but not my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. They go down to Egypt and seek help from them. They strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh. They trust in the shadow of Pharaoh, but they don't trust in my shadow. This is what's in the first seven verses. They wouldn't wait on the Lord. So they went out and they sought help everywhere else. When Syria attacked, they, they sought the Assyrians. And when the Assyrians attacked them, they sought the Egyptians. Then verses 8 and 9 says they refused to hear the law of the Lord. They refused to hear God's word. This is verses 8 and 9. Then verse 10, they refused to hear the prophets. They refused to hear the prophets. They said to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, don't prophesy unto us right things, what God said, but tell us smooth things. Tell us what we want to hear. Teach us how we can have a happy life. Teach us how we can just float through this world and just have everything. But don't tell us the truth now about who we are and what we are and who God is and how long eternity is and how hot hell is. Don't tell us about that. We want you to prophesy smooth things. It says the same thing in New Testament. So they'll call to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and the truth will eventually be turned to fables. Then in verse 11, they didn't want to hear about their God. Get out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We're tired of hearing about God's holiness and God's righteousness and all of these things. Then verse 12, they trusted oppression and perversion. Because you despise his word, you trust in oppression and perverseness, and you stand on it. Then in verses 15 and 16, the Lord appealed to them in his mercy to return and rest in him, but they wouldn't do it. Therefore, the Lord says, I'll wait on you. He's awaiting God. We call it long-suffering. The long-suffering of God is rooted in His glory. The glory of the Lord wrapped up in His long-suffering. The Lord will wait, He says here in verse 18, that He may be gracious. What if the Lord had cut some of us off when we were teenagers? Well, if He'd cut me off, I'd be in hell today. I tell you that right now. I'd be in hell today. The exaltation of the Lord commends his mercy. In other words, he's glorified in showing mercy. 
He's exalted as the God of mercy. The foundation of his glory is his mercy. When Moses said to the Lord, Exodus chapter 33, show me your glory, this is what the Lord said. Moses said unto the Lord, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And the Lord said to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I'll be gracious, but I'm going to determine to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy, but mercy is in my hands. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. The Lord always does what is right. Here he's called in the 18th verse, a God of judgment. That means that he's a God who judges things, looks at things, and he does what's right. Well, how long will the Lord wait? He said, I'm going to wait until you wait for me and until you wait on my will. See, there's a blessing in waiting for the Lord. The last phrase of the 18th verse, blessed are all they that wait for him. Now, you know what I'm going to tell you now. We love him because he what? He first loved us. We called on him because he what? He first called on us. We sought him because he first sought us. We wait on him because he waited on us, that he might be gracious unto us, that he might have mercy upon us. Bible writers refer to the patience of God, the waiting of God, as the long-suffering of God. Impatience with God is the child of unbelief. The Bible says to everything there is a season, to everything there is a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. Joseph could have grown desperate. He's approaching 30 years of age. He could have said, my soul, my life is being wasted. It's being wasted. I spent four years out of the last 13 in prison. The rest of them I was working with a, a, a guy that's a son worshiper of Egypt and his wife pressing me every day to have a relationship with my life is being wasted. In fact, I saw a special, just about five minutes of it, on television recently. It was a drama supposedly about Joseph. And the reason I didn't watch more than five minutes on it, because in those five minutes, it had Joseph leaning out of his jail cell and screaming at God. What are you doing? Don't you know what you're doing? You're ruining my life. The Joseph of the Bible was a, was a person who trusted the Lord. He waited on the Lord. Regardless of how things were going in his life, he trusted him. He trusted him. My dear friends, some of us may be gone before long, but some of you are going to be here and things are going to get worse in the old U.S. of A. They're going to get worse in the world. And I want you to remember what I'm telling you today. Don't you let anything cause you to stop serving the Lord and looking to him and trusting in him Waiting on him. He's waiting on you. If we could learn the lesson that if we have the Lord with us, prisons would palaces proved if Jesus 
would dwell with me there. How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness for me. The midsummer sun shines but dim, the fields strive in vain to look gay, but when I am happy in him, December is as pleasant as May. It doesn't matter where we are, it's if he's with us. Prisons would palaces prove if Jesus will dwell with me there. Listen to the writers of Scripture. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, he shall strengthen thine heart, wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. You look around, you see these people that hate God, and they're prospering. They're becoming millionaires and billionaires. He said, don't fret yourself because of that. Psalm 38, 15, for in thee, O Lord, do I hope, and thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 4, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings. He's put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and many shall fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust. Psalm 52, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. Psalm 59 verse 9, because of his strength will I wait upon thee for God is my defense. Psalm 62 verse 5, my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is for him, from him. Psalm 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. We used to sing that little song. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as the eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, to wait. Isaiah 64, 4. Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath I seen with the eye, O God, besides thee, what he has prepared for them that wait for him. Micah 7, verse 7. I will look unto the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. You have need of patience. That after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, he that has promised to come, will come, and he will not delay. Now in closing, it'll help us to know that there is a set time for deliverance 
Don't you believe that God had a set, time, a set time for delivering Joseph? He's got a set time for delivering us too from this world. There's a time of God's own choosing. Joseph will be delivered at a specific set time and not before. And my dear friends, those of you who are redeemed by the Lord, you are delivered from your prison of sins at a set time. And you will go to reign with Christ at a set time. The Father has not forgotten us. Let's not forget him. Listen to Peter. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And heavenly bodies will melt with fervent heat. And the earth also and the works that are therein will be burned up. Since all these things will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people do you see? What kind of people you should be? Your lives should be holy and dedicated to God as you wait for the day of God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Did you see that report the other day on the national news where they shot a rocket up into space to hit a huge meteor? kind of knock it off course so it wouldn't hit the earth. Did you see that? Well, that was on the news. Only problem is, just do a little reading, you'll see there's about 10 million of them. You're not going to be able to keep all of them. So far, when they come into the earth, they usually burn up before they get here. But they're becoming a little concerned now, so they're developing some little rockets to shoot up there and Hit those things, try to knock them off so they won't hit the earth. But what are you going to do about the other 900 billion? <laughs> Peter had it right, right here. He said the heavens are going to pass away, the heavenly bodies are going to melt with fervent heat, and the works that are there will be burned up. When will the Lord gather his children? I'm telling you, it'll help you to realize that the Lord works on a set time, he works on a schedule that he has predetermined. When will the Lord gather his children? According to Ephesians 1.10, he will do that in the fullness of time. He will gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. When did the Father send his Son into the world? Galatians 4 and verse 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. Why did the Lord wait so long to deliver Joseph? Why is he waiting so long to deliver us? Well, like multitudes of lessons there. One lesson might be perhaps to show the world how true faith acts under less than ideal condition. Maybe he's doing it like he did with Job to rebuke the devil. Maybe the Lord is saying, you see how my children still serve me and they still trust me regardless of what happens to them? That's what happened to Job. Actually, of course, as you know, on God's timetable, it has been a very short time since he said his son. Do not be ignorant of this thing, my brethren. Peter says, one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Translation, time is nothing to the eternal God. If a thousand years is as a day, what's two years for Joseph to be in jail, in prison, when he's going to be with his God forever? He's going to come in due time. He'll keep his promise. Wait on him. Are you waiting on the Lord?
oh, I hope he'll give me the grace that I can wait on him. Did you know that all of us, I put myself first in line here. You know, when Paul said, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, Jesus Christ is coming to the world to save sinners. Then he added, comma, of whom I am chief. He said, I'm the biggest sinner. I stand in the first in line. Well, if Paul's got number one, I got number two. I feel that I am the biggest sinner in the world, and I'm so thankful for his grace that he found a way to be just and justify the sinner that believes in him. He took my place. He exchanged places with me. And he took my hell, and he gives me his righteousness through faith in him. And by his grace, I'm going to wait on him. You heard about the fellow that I told you about that the preacher was talking about uh, going to heaven. And he was just emphasized it, wanting to go to heaven. Finally, he says, everybody here wants to go to heaven, come down to the front. They all came down except one guy. And so the preacher said, don't you want to go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I want to go, but I said, I thought you was getting up a load for this afternoon. Well, I, I understand that. I understand that. I'm going to live as long as I'm going to live, and I'm going to live as long as I can. I do just like the rest of you. I take vitamins and minerals and try to sleep right and try to eat right and try to do all those things. But, as I told a brother the other day, He's reading about some of the saints of God dying. And a man said, are you dying? He said, I've read about some of these saints of God dying. Remember I told you, you guys a couple of weeks ago about Hugh Latimer? Remember me telling you about Hugh Latimer who stood before Henry VIII? And Henry VIII was offended by what he preached. And he said, uh, let Mr. Latimer remember before whom he stands. And the following Sunday, Mr. Latimer said, Hugh Latimer, you remember before whom you stand, but also remember, Hugh Latimer, that you stand before Almighty God, who after he has taken your body can destroy soul and body in hell. Guess what happened to Hugh Latimer? How many of you have heard in your history books, you probably have heard somewhere, of Bloody Mary. You ever heard of that? Okay. Bloody Mary took Hugh Latimer and a friend of his named Ridley and put him on a stake and tied him to the stake and set him on fire. Set him on fire. And Latimer said to his friend Ridley, Brother Ridley, he said, play the man. We shall light a fire today which shall never be put out. That's what he said. What a way to die. I want to be able to understand that when you're dying, listen to me now, when you're dying, that's when you need dying grace. You don't need dying grace. Now you need living grace. You need grace to live and serve the Lord while you can. And then when it comes time for you to die, as Tom and I were talking the other day, 
the Lord said to Joshua, okay, get all the men down here and cross over the Jordan River. And they said, well, open it up and we'll cross over. He said, no, you wait out in it. And once you wait out in it and it gets up to about right here, I'll open it up. We don't put God on some kind of back burner and say, Lord, I'll do this if you do that. He doesn't have to make any deals, my friends. If you ever come to see him as for who he is in the scripture, you'll fall in love with him. And the bottom line, as I often remind you for a Christian, is to be able to say, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, whatever the, 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 the may be happening at that time, not my will, but thine be done. I had prayer this morning with Shirley at the hospital. And uh, I've known her a long time. Some of you here have known her a long time. And like some of the rest of us, she's nearing the end of her journey. But she let it be known to me this morning that she was trusting in the Lord, whatever his will is. She said, I know that when we leave here, we'll go to be with the Lord. Absent from the body and present with the Lord. Wait, wait on him. Joseph is waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. Are you waiting on the Lord? Be faithful. Don't let things go. Wait on the Lord. Let's stand together. We're not going to ask you to walk down an aisle, sign a card, raise your hand, make a pledge. We're just going to say this to you. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's what the scripture says. Whosoever shall confess Jesus as Lord and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead shall be saved. And I think that you should openly confess that. You don't do that by walking down an aisle. You do that in your life but we'll be happy to present you to this congregation if that's your desire. The important thing is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he has promised that he will save those who believe upon him. So that is my prayer for you. Let's sing our song, Under the Blood of Jesus.
Now I pray, O Father, that you will bless us as we leave this place. That you'll make your face to shine upon us. That you will lay your hand upon us. That you will strengthen us as we go out of this place to face this world. It will right be lights in the world of darkness. Truth in a world characterized by lies. That we might walk looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I ask you to bless the word that was taught today. If you do not bless it, it will return void. You have promised, my word shall not return void. It shall accomplish that whereunto I have sent it. We pray for our boys and girls. They'll come to know the Lord Jesus. We pray for the mothers and fathers that they will walk before their children looking to the Lord and teach them about the Lord. We pray for the grandparents. They may be examples to their children and their grandchildren. Oh, help us, Lord, for we are weak, but you are strong. We ask you to bless us, to use us, to guide us, we ask you once again to be merciful unto our dear sister Shirley. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Amen.